Uh, my name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. We've been walking through this book this summer, uh, the Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, we're going to continue in chapter 3 this morning. To set it up, I'll read you a, a, a bit that came from A.W. Tozer in a book called uh, Men Who Meet God. And he said it this way, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I'm almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. He goes on, without argument, most things are at their best when they're fulfilling their purpose and design. For instance, he says, a piano is made with a specific purpose, to produce music. However, I happen to know someone that once stood on a piano in order to fasten some kind of, uh, some, a fastener of some kind to the ceiling. Some artistic women have used piano tops as Family picture galleries, I've seen piano tops that were cluttered filing cabinets or wide library shelves. There's an intelligent design in the creation of a piano. The manufacturer did not announce, this is a good piano. It has at least 19 uses. No, the designer had only one thought in mind. The piano will have the purpose and potential of sounding forth beautiful music. Do not miss the application of truth, he concludes. God was saying to Abraham, you, have, you may have some other idea about the design and purpose of your life, but you're wrong. You were created in my image to worship me and to glorify me. And if you do not honor this purpose, your life will degenerate into shallow, selfish, humanistic pursuits. It's a good reminder this morning. And it's a good picture for us as we enter into uh, this part of the Colossian letter that Paul writes. He's going to give us a list of what we call vices and virtues, things that we should put out of our life and things that we should... Um, Make sure with diligence that we include in our life. And in fact, every letter that Paul writes to a church, every recipient receives some kind of vice and virtue list. And so what, what Paul's doing is not out of the ordinary. It's always on his mind that how we live, how, how we live out who we are it is revealing. It it. it we're meant to live according to our design, and the design is that we are new creations in Christ, and we're meant to live that way. Well, the context is, we looked at the first four verses of chapter 3 last week, and it was, we said this is our reality as believers. It's our story, and our story's been folded into Christ. Our past, our present, our future, they're now inseparably linked in Jesus. And because of that, we... We seek those things that are above, and we set our mind on things that are above, and our, our life now is completely reoriented so that as we live and as we think, we do so from a different place, a different mindset. This 
then leads us to the practical application of what he said. What does it mean that we have a new reality? Well, look with me. I'm going to read um, beginning in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. And this is how Paul says it. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, remember, he's just said, uh, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. And now he says, put, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives us a list, sexual immorality and impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, or these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, help us this morning. We want to hear these words. And at the places this morning that your spirit needs to convict us. Father, at the places that we should feel conviction, I pray that you would do that. Father, I pray that we, by grace, would run to you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, it begins in verse 5 there. Put to death what's earthly in you. It could be translated this way. Put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. Consider the members of your earthly body dead. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates it. He says, and that means killing off everything connected with the way of death. That it's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of God. But, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. You're done with that old life. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Put to death links us to something that was in the passage last week. If you look at verse 3, he says that we have died. He said, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died. And then here in verse 5, he says, put to death. Now, I want to do, I need to do a little theology here with you. And I won't, I won't indulge it very long, but it's important that you, that you get an idea of what Paul means when he talks about the old man and the new man, or the, the old self, as the ESV says it, and the new self. The word literally, the self word there is, is literally um, anthropos, man. Old man, 
new man. Here's what you need to know about that. With regard to the old man, the death of the old man is an established fact. If you are a believer, the death of the old man is an established fact. It happened spiritually at the moment of salvation. When you identified with Jesus, you, you could make a note here, Romans chapter 6. This helps you understand what it means that the old man has died. The, the, the old self, the old man, is a self that is patterned after Adam. It's the part of us that's, that's deeply ingrained and it's in rebellion against God and his commands. That's the old self. And the law, when the law came, and God gives the law, the, the reality, what, what Paul says elsewhere in his letters, is that the, the, the law wasn't able to do anything to improve the old man. It could only tell the old man what, what the standard of God was and how the, how the man fell short of the standard. And try as one may to reform the old man, to get him to turn over a new leaf. One cannot. The old man can never be reformed. The only answer for the problem of the old man is death. And for the believer, the old man, he dies with Jesus on the cross... The crucifixion of the old man is, is something that God did in us, and because and none of us, none of us nailed the old man to the cross. Jesus did that. One writer says, in us there was nothing even to sicken or weaken our old man, much less to murder him by crucifixion. God had to do this. The old man or the old self is all that a person is before salvation. The only thing a person is before salvation. And it becomes old when a new life in Christ is born. And so that brings me to the new man. So that's the old man. Well, what's the new man? Well, in place of the old man, God gives the believer a new man, a, a self that has new instincts and new affections and uh, a desire to obey God, a desire to please God. It's the part of you. It, it came to you when you were raised with Christ in his resurrection spiritually. You, you've been set free, what Paul says, from the slavery of sin and death. And you've been made alive to God through resurrection in Christ. Now, here's a helpful note about what death means in Paul's mind when he says the old man dies. It is not an, uh, it's a separation, okay? More than it is an extinction, it's a separation that happens. Physical death is the separation of body from spirit. Spiritual death is the separation of a person from God. The, the second death is eternal separation from God. And death to sin 
is a separation from the ruling power of sin in one's life. You've been separated from the power of the old life, but you have not been separated from the presence of the old life. He's died, the old man, but he's not extinct. He's not yet been eradicated fully. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said it this way. This is, now we're still in the theology section, all right? I want us to understand this as, as we get into this with Paul. Remember, we have to understand who we are before we can fully understand what Paul's telling us he need, wants us to do, how, how he wants us to live. He says, you, you can still be a slave experientially even when you're no longer a slave legally. Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here through his word that if we are in Christ, we're no longer in Adam. We're no longer under the reign and the rule of sin. And if I fall into sin, as I do, it's simply because I do not realize who I am. We need to realize it. We need to reckon it. We need to remind ourselves always and preach to ourselves always, I'm not the old man, I'm the new man. And so Paul says here, put to death. In the King James Version, here and in Romans 8.13, although the words are different, they're synonyms, put to death, um, mortify mortification. It's a good old word. It, it carries with it an idea of a violence. That's what Paul's talking about. The desires of the old man, they don't go away passively. We have to put them to death. We have to execute them. We have to, to kill them. John Owens, almost 400 years ago, wrote a little book, a small book, it's not long, and I commend it to you. If you're looking for something to read this summer, and you want to brag to people that you're reading old dead theologians, you can find Mortification of Sin by John Owens. It's probably public domain. It's easy to find. Um, and, he, and he starts it off this way. He asks this question, and he's going to give us five, five things that we need to know. And he says this, do you mortify do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Then he gives us five things about it. He says, listen, indwelling sin. Now, let me just pause for one second. Here, here's an assumption that I'm going to make about you, all right? You're here sitting in a church building and you came through the doors and, and by your very presence here, I'm going to assume you understand the reality that you have a problem with sin. Is that okay? Can I, can I make that assumption about you that every person in here has a problem with sin? So, so so, I can let you off the hook this morning. At, at, at the moment that you feel convicted, you can be fairly sure someone around you is feeling the same conviction. Right? You're, you're not alone in this. 
Everyone in here has a sin problem. Is that okay? So, here's what Edwards, or Owen says. Indwelling sin always abides while we're in the world. Therefore, it always needs to be mortified, put to death. Here you go. Here's another one. Sin doth not only still abide in us, but it is still acting, still laboring to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin is never less quiet than when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still. Sin is always acting, always conceiving, always seducing and tempting. Who can say that he had ever anything to do with God or for God, that indwelling sin had not a hand in the corrupting of what he did? I mean, even the good things that you've done. And you go, wow, that was a good thing. I should take a picture and put it on Instagram. If sin then is always acting, if we are not always mortifying, we're lost creatures. There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed upon, and it will be so while we are in this world. There is no safety against it, only constant warfare. Do you believe that? If you don't, that's what Paul wants you to believe this morning. That's the change this morning in your mind, that sin, there is a constant warfare. Here, here's the third thing that, that, that uh, Owens has to say. Sin always aims at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice that it might have its own course. It would go to the utmost sin in that kind. Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression. Every thought of unbelief would be atheism. It is like the grave. It never is satisfied. There's another one. Sin sets its strength against every act of holiness and against every degree in which we grow. What he's saying is spiritual maturity does not protect you from sin. You must always be waging war against it. Here's a final thing he says, and it's important. Now, brings me back to the passage. He says, he doth not so work, meaning God doesn't, doesn't work in such a way that our mortification, our, our putting to death of sin, he doesn't work in such a way as not to keep it still an act of our obedience. That, that, listen, what we find from Colossians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 6 and 
elsewhere as Paul writes, that we really have no hope against the power of indwelling sin, the presence of sin in our life, without the power of the Holy Spirit. But God works in such a way in our life that the Spirit of God works in such a way in our life to empower us to battle sin, but he does not take that battle away. That battle is still for us. The obedience to battle against sin is still ours. Again, I say, do you believe that? I mean, if anything in our culture, we've done so much to... um, to redefine sin, to, 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 to call it by other names, to give it excuses or to make it a part of our entitlements. And what Paul says is, no, no, no. That's part of that nonsense of the world. Remember, that's, that's part of those earthly things. We're, we're to set our mind on heavenly things. And what God thinks about sin is it stirs him to wrath. All that he mentions here, all of these sins, and we're going to go through them in just a second, but all of them are inconsistent with who you are as a new person, as a new man, a new woman. And so he uses two images. The first one we talked about, put to death. The second one he's going to say put, put off and, 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 and put on. Put, put, put off, put, put, put away, put, put it all away like a set of ratty old clothes and put on the new self. He wants us to view these things from a heavenly perspective. Put away, look at verse 8, put away all earthly things. Put to death, put them all away. It's a different metaphor, but it's the same meaning. D.A. Carson says, people don't drift towards holiness apart from grace-driven effort, grace-driven obedience. People do not gravitate towards holiness. Prayer and obedience to Scripture, faith and delight in the Lord, you you don't drift that way. You drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. You drift towards disobedience, call it freedom. You drift towards superstition and call it faith. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we've been liberated. Put it off. Put it to death. This is extermination language. It's not regulation. You know, I, I um, every month, Brandy Treadwell comes to my house to exterminate bugs. I don't want them regulated. I want them exterminated. I don't want them assigned to certain areas that I can live with. I want them completely eradicated. I want those bugs dead. I want their children dead. 
And if I see one in between when he's come and when he's coming next, I call him. Say, I have a dead bug, and I need you to come. Make sure his family will die. He gives us three lists. The first list is there in verse 5, and then he picks it up in verse 8. And you might call these three categories, uh, uh, the the first one is a, a perverted passions. The second one has to do with our tempers. And the third one has to do with our tongues. First on the list, sexual immorality, pornea. It is a broad term for all kinds of illicit sexual behavior. So let me say it this way. Let me get this on the record, okay? So it's on the, on the video, on the record. If you want to know where we stand at Bethel Bible Church, here's where we stand. I don't say this in a mean way. I don't say this as a way of, of seeking to alienate anybody. I say it as a way of clarification, I say it with all grace. God created sex to be enjoyed by one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. Any sexual activity that does not fit that definition is not to be part of a believer's life. Period. I know that our culture is pushing hard against that. But the truth of God's Word has not changed. He goes from that, he mentions impurity, it reminds us immorality, sexual immoralities, the context is unclean, it's, it's dirty, it's incompatible with the purity and perfection and beauty of our Savior. We're not to be slaves to our passions. The word could be translated lust or evil desires. And then he mentions covetousness or maybe yours says greed. This is sort of the broader picture of it. The word, when you translate the word, it comes from two words. It means a desire to have and, and more. A desire to have more. That's what greed is. It is the assumption that all things and passions exist for our own benefit. It's the internal sinful desire to satisfy ourselves, satiate ourselves with more, more, more. Paul calls it there at the end of five, idolatry. To act as if everything exists for us is to place ourselves in the position of God. Do you realize that? When you believe everything exists for you, you are saying about yourself, you are God. 
Paul has already clarified. In Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him, not for us. Paul wants us to see this from God's divine perspective. Well, if you skip down, look at verse 8. He picks the list back up. Now you must put them all away. And then he says anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Anger is a settled feeling, seething, smoldering. Wrath is, is rage. Quick, sudden outburst. Then he moves to the things that come out of our mouth, our intentions. He mentions malice, ill will, or deliberate intention of doing harm to someone else, or slander, defamation of character, obscene talk, filthy language, abusive language. Put them away. The earthly things, all those earthly things, they're part of the old self and they've got to be put off because because the old self's already been put off. He's he's already died. Look at the way that he says it. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. He means the same thing he means in verse 3. You have died. You have already put off the old self. The old man has died. So put all that away, he says. You're not that man or woman any longer. The old man's died. Those ways may still exist and and linger. They may be part of your reflexes. But go to war with it. Put it away. Before I get into the new self, if I do, we'll pick the new self up next week. So, for some reason I don't. Happy Fourth of July, all right? But I I do want to clarify three things. What one is this? The, The absence of desire is not the goal. The absence of desire is not to go. That's, that's Eastern religion. That's, that's Buddhism. That's in nirvanas, the, 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 the place of no desire, that, that somehow that's the goal. That's not the goal. Listen, God made us with desire, desire for intimate relationship with him and meaningful service in the world and and intimate relationships with each other and the fall perverted those desires. That the quest for intimacy was replaced by a desire for its quickest counterfeit, illicit sexual pleasure. Our God-given desire for for meaningful service, for, 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 our, for our life to, 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 to take on meaning. It was, it was 
twisted and, and deformed into a lust for power over others. The longing we have to, to make a difference, to have an impact, that's a God-given longing, and it was, it was skewed by sin and has become a lust for control their counterfeits. They appeal to us. They appeal to the old man. They seek to replace God. Paul, if you went back to Romans chapter 1, he says, man did not worship God. Fallen man didn't, but we replaced him with the creature. Here's the thing. The creature doesn't require repentance and it doesn't require gratitude. The creature doesn't, does not demand brokenness or service. Creature worship only requires that we deny the true emptiness inside of us. To worship the things of the world, all we have to do is hide the emptiness. And all we have to do is hide the shame that arises when we turn our back on God and others. Jeremiah chapter 2, for my people have committed two evils, God said. What are they? So they've forsaken me. And they have, or he says, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then what they've done is they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. They've made cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And it's the picture of our old man life that still clings to us. The absence of desire is not the goal. It's the proper placement of our desires and our affections. So secondly, we all do something with our desires. We do something with our hunger. We do something with our thirst. We, we make choices and divine desires, desires that were built into us as the image of God, satisfied with temporal things, temporal sin. It will poison your soul. It will make you sick. So what do you do when you fall? Because you have, and you will. You turn to grace. And grace is this. It, you don't have to run away from God. You run to him. Here's what running away looks like. Running away looks like willpower and resolve and hiding. Don't do that. Grace says you run to God in prayer and repentance and humility, believing. Listen, God loves you, forgives you, accepts you. You run to Him. Because the third thing you need to know sin in your life is robbing you of what God has for you. 
Listen, God wants us to be satisfied, wants us to pursue the desires that He's set in our heart. And But the way that we usually or by default or by instinct pursue them, we do them in a way that robs us of what God has for us. When those things become ultimate things, it's sin. But Paul's point in chapter 3 is that believers are to become who they are in Christ. That's what he wants you to do. Put on the new self. That's what he says. Put on the new self. Renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You could underline after the image of its creator reminds us the primary reason for salvation is not to take us somewhere, but to make us like someone. So how do we kill sin? Let me give you let me give you a few things. How do we battle? This is the conclusion, by the way. Got it? I got 14 things. Now nah, we won't get through them all. Here's one. Take to heart the truth that the old sinful you is decisively already dead. You need to believe that. Maybe that's something you need to write down and you need to stick that in front of your Bible that says... That says, the truth about me is that the old sinful me is already dead. Oh, it's still around. It still clings to me. But it's dead. And its power and slavery over me are gone. We need to remind ourselves of that. Second thing we need to do, if you're writing this down, is you need to cultivate a hatred for sin. You know, I will tell you, because we have changed the terms for sin and we, don't, we do all that we can to rationalize it away and call it something else, we have spent way too much time in our culture lately, and I think in the church lately, trying to make friends with sin. Be like some of those people that I would try to hang out with in high school, and my mom would be like, you can't hang out with those people. I'm like, no, 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 they're, they're really good. They're really nice, though, if you just got to know them. They weren't. You've got to cultivate a hatred for sin. You don't kill your friends. You kill your enemies. We've got to develop a hatred for the sin in our life. For some, it means you need to become offended again by the sin that's in your life. There's a third one. Don't make any plans that open the door for sin. 
Romans 13, don't make any provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Don't flirt with it. You know the door's not to open. You know the window's not to look through. You know the website's not to go to. You know the conversations that you need to keep a check on. Here's a, what are we, four? Fourth one. Develop some habits that continually renew the mind. Fix your attention daily on the things of God, the things that are above. Philippians 4, let your mind dwell on whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and gracious and excellent and worthy of praise. How do you fight sin? How do you put it to death? How do you violently go to war against the old things? Well, you've got to renew your mind with the new things. And you have to do that daily. Listen, when, when you begin to view time with the Lord, when you begin to view this as not something you're doing in order to, to gain his pleasure or to check it off your list or to, you know, put on a, a costume of Christianity, but when you view it as, hey, listen, this, this is... I, and I'm going to the, to the war chest. This is my ammunition to fight the sin that is, uh, that, that is hounding me and will hound me all day long. And when you view this as a way of renewing your mind and setting your affections and seeing your life from God's perspective, it will change your time in God's Word and prayer. Um, I'll just give you one more. Admit failure and confess your sin every day. Admit it. Admit it. Agree quickly with the enemy. You're right. That's wrong. And go to God. Confess it. Confess your sins daily. How do you fight sin? Well, you don't do it without taking it seriously. You don't do it without renewing your mind. You don't do it without admitting when you fail, and you will. Listen, I want to make clear, perfection's not the goal. You're not going to reach perfection on this side of life. Battles the goal. To by faith, by grace through faith in Christ, and the empowerment of the Spirit in you, that you would go to war 
against the enemy that seeks to destroy you. That's what Paul wants for you. Next week, he's going to talk about what it is to put on then as God's chosen ones to adorn the, the beauty of your Savior. But first, you've got to resolve that you're going to go to war against the old self. Take off the ratty clothes. Listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer, you're not sure that you're a believer, all this is secondary for you. These are not things you can do on your own. You've got to be made new. If you're not a believer this morning, there is no new self. There's only self. But by faith in Christ, you this morning can become new. And that which you are today becomes old. Have you reached out to him in faith? Have you said, I believe? If not, I invite you this morning to do just that. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, there's a lot for us in a few short verses here. And I am sure as it was read this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. And I envision the believers gathered around in Philemon's house and Tychicus is reading through the words. I, Father, I imagine that the right and holy conviction of your spirit fell upon that group of believers that is as it has every group of believers since then. Father, would we be reminded this morning of how offensive sin is. Father, would you help us cultivate the hatred for it in our life. Father, would we be reminded that that part of ourself has died. We no longer live in that. And Father, we, we seek with all of our might your power to put those things away. Father, help us to go to battle. Wake us up if we are asleep. Sober us up if we are drunk. Make our senses aware. Father, we want the, the blessing of life lived in Christ. Draw us to him this morning, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit.